Chapter fifty of Hands of Iceland by Victor Hugo, translated by Abby Langdon Alger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sonia. Chapter fifty. Do you hope to end with another crime? Alex Sume. Let us now take a look at the other cell in the military prison adjoining the barracks, which holds our old acquaintance Turiev Mustemon. It may seem surprising that Mustemon, crafty and cowardly as he was, should so readily confess his crime to the court which condemned him, and so generously conceal the share of his ungrateful master, Chancellor Dahlefeld, in it. However, Mustemon had not experienced a change of heart. His noble frankness was perhaps the greatest proof of cunning which he could possibly have given. When he saw his infernal intrigue so unexpectedly exposed, beyond all hope of denial, he was for an instant stunned and terrified. Conquering his alarm, his extreme shrewdness soon showed him that, as it was impossible to destroy his chosen victims, he must bend all his energies to saving himself. Two plans at once presented themselves. The first, to throw all the blame upon Count Dahlefeld, who had so basely deserted him. The second, to assume the whole burden of the crime himself. A vulgar mind would have grasped at the former. Mustemon chose the latter. The Chancellor was Chancellor, after all. Besides, there was nothing in the papers which directly implicated him, although they contained overwhelming evidence against his secretary. Then his master had given him several meaning looks. This was enough to confirm him in his purpose to suffer himself to be condemned, confident that Count Dahlefeld would connive at his escape, though less from gratitude for past service than through his need for future aid. He therefore paced his prison, which was dimly lighted by a wretched lamp, never doubting that the door would be thrown open during the night. He studied the architecture of the old stone cell built by kings whose very names have almost vanished from the pages of history, and was much surprised to find a wooden plank which echoed back his tread as if it covered some subterranean vault. He also observed a huge iron ring cemented into the arched roof, from which hung a fragment of rope. Time passed, and he listened impatiently to the clock on the tower as it slowly struck the hours, its mournful toll resounding through the silence of the night. At last there was a footfall outside his cell. His heart beat high with hope. The massive bolt creaked, the padlock dropped, and as the door opened, his face beamed with delight. It was the same character in scarlet robes whom we have just encountered in Hans of Iceland's prison. He had a coil of hempen cord under his arm, and was accompanied by four halberdiers in black, armed with swords and partisans. Mustemon still wore the wig and gown of a magistrate. His dress seemed to impress the man in red, who bowed low as if accustomed to respect that garb, and said with some hesitation, Sir, is our business with your worship? Yes, yes, hastily replied Mustemon, confirmed in his hope of escape by this polite address, and failing to observe the bloody hue of the speaker's garments. Your name, said the man, his eyes fixed on a parchment which he had just unrolled. Is Turiev Mosdemon, I believe? Just so. Do you come from the Chancellor, my friend? Yes, your worship. Do not fail when you have done your errand to assure his grace of my undying gratitude. The man in red looked at him in amazement. Your gratitude? Yes, to be sure, my friend, for it will probably be out of my power to thank him in person very soon. Probably, dryly replied the man. And you must feel, added Mustemon, that I owe him a deep debt of gratitude for such a service. 
By the cross of the repentant thief, cried the man with a coarse laugh. To hear you, one would think that the Chancellor was doing something quite unusual for you. Well, to be sure, it is no more than strict justice. Uh, strict justice, that is the word. But you acknowledge that it is justice. <laughs> it is the first admission of the kind that I ever heard in the six and twenty years that I have followed my profession. Come, sir, we waste our time in idle talk. Are you ready? I am said the delighted Mustemon, stepping to the door. Wait, wait a minute, exclaimed the man in red, stooping to lay his coil of rope on the floor. Mustemon paused. What are you going to do with all that rope? Your worship may well ask. I know that there is much more than I shall need, but when I began on this affair, I thought there would be a great many more prisoners. Come, make haste, said Mustemon. Your worship is in a wonderful hurry, have you no last favour to ask? None but the one I have already mentioned, that you will thank his grace for me. For God's sake, make haste, added Mustemon. I long to get away from here. Have we a long journey before us? A long journey, replied the man in red, straightening himself and measuring off a few lengths of rope. <laughs> the journey will not tire your worship much, for we can make it without leaving this room. Mustemon shuddered. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean yourself? asked the man. Oh, God, said Mustemon, turning pale. Who are you? <laughs> I am the hangman. The poor wretch trembled like a dry leaf blown by the wind. Did you not come to help me to escape? He feebly muttered. The hangman laughed. <laughs> uh, yes, truly to help you to escape into the spirit land, whence I warrant you will not be brought back. Mustemon grovelled on the floor. Oh, mercy! Have pity on me! Mercy! In faith, coldly observed the hangman, tis the first time I was ever asked such a thing. <laughs> Do you take me for the king? The unfortunate man dragged himself on his knees, trailing his gown in the dust, beating his head against the floor and clasping the hangman's feet with muffled groans and broken sobs. Come, be quiet, said the hangman. I never before saw a black gown kneel to a red jerkin. He kicked the suppliant aside, adding, Pray to God and the saints, fellow. They will be more apt to hear you than I. Mustemon still knelt, his face buried in his hands, weeping bitterly. Meantime the hangman, standing on tiptoe, passed his rope through the ring in the ceiling. He let it hang until it reached the floor, then secured it by a double turn and made a slipknot in the end. I am ready, said he when these ominous preparations were over. Are you ready to lay down your life? No, said Mustemon, springing up. No, it cannot be. There is some horrible mistake. Chancellor Dallefeld is not so base. I am too necessary to him. It is impossible that it was for me he sent you. Let me escape. Do not fear that the Chancellor will be angry. Did you not say, replied the executioner, that you were Turiev Mostemon? The prisoner hesitated for an instant, then said suddenly, No, no, my name is not Mostemon. My name is Turiev Orogix. Orogix? cried the executioner. Orogix? He snatched off the periwig which concealed the prisoner's face, and uttered an exclamation of surprise. 
My brother! Your brother, replied the prisoner with a mixture of shame and pleasure. Can you be? Nikolorogix, hangman for the province of Trondheim, at your service, brother Turiev. The prisoner fell upon the executioner's neck, calling him his brother, his beloved brother. This fraternal recognition would not have gratified anyone who witnessed it. Turiev lavished countless caresses upon Nikol with a forced and timid smile, while Nikol responded with a gloomy and embarrassed look. It was like a tiger fondling an elephant, while the monster's ponderous foot is already planted upon its panting chest. What happiness, brother Nikol! I am glad indeed to see you. And I am sorry for you, brother Turiev. The prisoner pretended not to hear these words, and went on in trembling tones. You have a wife and children, I suppose. You must take me to see my gentle sister, and let me kiss my dear nephews. <laughs> the devil fly away with you, muttered the hangman. I will be a second father to them. Hark, your brother. I am powerful. I have great influence. The brother replied with a sinister expression. I know that you had. At present you had better be thinking of that which you have doubtless contrived to curry with the saints. All hope faded from the prisoner's face. Good God! What does this mean, dear Nicol? I am safe since I have found you. Think that the same mother bore us, that we play together as children. Remember, Nicol, you are my brother. <laughs> you never remembered it until now, replied the brutal Nicol. No, I cannot die by my brother's hand. It is your own fault, Turiev. It was you who ruined my career, who prevented me from becoming a royal executioner at Copenhagen, who caused me to be sent into this miserable region as a petty provincial hangman. If you had not been a bad brother, you would have no cause to complain of that which distresses you so much now. <laughs> I should not be in Trondheim, and someone else would have to finish your business. Now enough, brother. You must die. Death is hideous to the wicked for the same reason that it is beautiful to the good. Both must put off their humanity, but the just man is delivered from his body as from a prison, while the wicked man is torn from it as from a jail. At the last moment hell yawns before the sinful soul which has dreamed of annihilation. It knocks anxiously at the dark portals of death, and it is not annihilation that answers. The prisoner rolled upon the floor and wrung his hands, with moans more heart-rending than the everlasting wail of the damned. Oh, God, have mercy! Holy angels in heaven, if you exist, have pity upon me! Nicol, brother Nicol, in our mother's name! Oh, let me live! The hangman held out his warrant. I cannot. The order is peremptory. <laughs> that warrant is not for me! stammered the despairing prisoner. It is for one must demon. That is not I. I am Turiev Orogix. <laughs> you jest, said Nicol, shrugging his shoulders. I know perfectly well that it is meant for you. Besides, he added roughly, yesterday you would not have been Turiev Orogix to your brother. <laughs> Today he can only look upon you as Turiev must demon. Oh, brother, brother. <laughs> groaned the wretch. Only wait until tomorrow. It is impossible that the Chancellor could have given the order for my death. It is some frightful mistake. Count Dahlefeld loves me dearly. 
Dear Nicol, I implore you, spare my life. I shall soon be restored to favor, and I will do whatever you may ask. <sighs> you can do me but one service, Turiev, broke in the hangman. I have lost two executions already, upon which I counted the most, those of ex-Chancellor Schumacher and the Viceroy's son. I am always unlucky. You and Hans of Iceland are all that are left. Your execution, being secret and by night, is worth at least twelve gold ducats to me. Let me hang you peaceably. That is the only favor I ask of you. Oh, God! <laughs> sighed the prisoner. It will be the first and the last, in good sooth. <laughs> but in return, I promise that you shall not suffer. I will hang you like a brother. Submit to your fate. Mustemon sprang to his feet. His nostrils were distended with rage. His livid lips quivered. His teeth chattered. His mouth foamed with despair. Ah, Satan! I saved that Dalefeld. I have embraced my brother. And they murder me. And I must die this very night in a dark dungeon, where none can hear my curses, where I may not cry out against them from one end of the kingdom to the other, where I may not tear asunder the veil that hides their crimes. Was it for such a death that I have stained my entire life? Wretch, he added, turning to his brother, would you become a fratricide? I am the executioner answered the phlegmatic Nicol. No! exclaimed the prisoner, and he flung himself headlong upon the executioner, his eyes darting flame and streaming with tears, like those of a bull at bay. No, I will not die thus meekly. I have not lived like a poisonous serpent to die like a paltry worm trampled underfoot. I will leave my life in my last sting, but it shall be mortal. So saying, he grappled like a bitter foe with him whom he had just embraced as a brother. The fulsome, flattering Mustemon now showed his true spirit. Despair stirred up the foul dregs of his soul. And after crawling prostrate like a tiger, like a tiger he sprang upon his enemy. It would have been hard to decide which of the two brothers was the most appalling as they struggled, one with the brute ferocity of a wild beast, the other with the artful fury of a demon. But the four halberdiers, hitherto passive spectators, did not remain motionless. They lent their aid to the executioner, and soon Mustemon, whose rage was his only strength, was forced to quit his hold. He dashed himself against the wall, uttering inarticulate yells and blunting his nails upon the stone. To die! Devils in hell, to die! My shrieks unheard outside this roof, my arms powerless to tear down these walls. He was seized, but offered no resistance. His useless efforts had exhausted him. He was stripped of his gown and bound. At this moment a sealed packet fell from his bosom. What is that? said the hangman. An infernal light gleamed in the prisoner's haggard eyes. He muttered, How could I forget that? Look here, brother Nicol, he added in an almost friendly tone. These papers belong to the Lord Chancellor. Promise to give them to him, and you may do what you will with me. Huh, since you are quiet now, I promise to grant your last wish, although you have been a bad brother to me. I will see that the Chancellor has the papers, on the honor of an Orogix. Ask leave to hand them to him yourself, replied the prisoner, smiling at the executioner, 
who from his nature had little understanding of smiles. The pleasure which they will afford his grace may lead him to confer some favour on you. Oh, really, brother, said Orygix, oh, thank you. Perhaps he will make me executioner royal after all, eh? Well, let us part, good friends. I forgive you all the scratches which you gave me. Forgive me for the hempen collar which I must give you. The Chancellor promised me a very different sort of collar, said Musdemon. Then the halberdiers led him, bound, into the middle of the cell. The hangman placed the fatal noose round his neck. Are you ready, Turiev? One moment, one moment, said the prisoner, whose terror had revived. Oh, for mercy's sake, brother, do not pull the rope until I tell you to do so. I do not need to pull it, answered the hangman. A moment later he repeated his question. Are you ready? One moment more. Alas, must I die? Turiev, I have no time to waste. So saying, Orogic signed to the halberdiers to stand away from the prisoner. One word more, brother. Do not forget to give the packet to Count Dahlefeld. Ah, never fear, replied Nicol. He added for the third time, Come, are you ready? The unfortunate man opened his lips, perhaps to plead for another brief delay, when the impatient hangman stooped and turned a brass button projecting from the floor. The plank gave way beneath the victim. The poor wretch disappeared through a square trapdoor with a dull twang from the rope, which was stretched suddenly and vibrated fearfully with the dying man's final convulsions. Nothing was seen but the rope swinging to and fro in the dark opening, through which came a cool breeze and a sound as of running water. The halberdiers themselves shrank back, horror-stricken. The hangman approached the abyss, seized the rope which still vibrated, and swung himself into the hole, pressing both feet against his victim's shoulders. The fatal rope stretched to its utmost with a creak, and stood still. A stifled sob rose from the trap. All is over, said the hangman, climbing back into the cell. Farewell, brother. He drew a cutlass from his belt. Go feed the fishes in the fjord. Your body to the waves, your soul to the flames. With these words, he cut the taut rope. The fragment still fastened to the iron ring lashed the ceiling, while the deep, dark water splashed high as the body fell, then swept on their underground course. The hangman closed the trap as he had opened it. As he rose, he saw that the room was full of smoke. What is all this? he asked the halberdiers. Where does this smoke come from? They knew no better than he. In surprise, they opened the door. The corridors were also filled with thick and nauseating smoke. A secret outlet led them, greatly terrified, to the square courtyard where a fearful sight met their gaze. A vast conflagration, fanned by a violent east wind, was consuming the military prison and the barracks. The flames, driven in eddying whirls, climbed stone walls, crowned burning roofs, leaped from gaping window frames, and the black towers of Munkholm now shone in a red and ominous light, now vanished in a dense cloud of smoke. A turnkey, who was escaping by the courtyard, told them hastily that the fire had broken out in the monster cell during the sleep of Hans of Iceland's keepers, he having been imprudently allowed to have a fire and straw. <sighs> How unlucky I am, cried Orogix when he heard this story. Now I suppose Hans of Iceland has slipped through my hands, too. The rascal must have been burned. And I shan't even get his body, 
for which I paid two ducats. Meantime, the unfortunate Munkholm musketeers, roused suddenly from their sleep by imminent death, crowded toward the door, only to find it closely barred. Their shrieks of anguish and despair were heard outside. They stood at the blazing windows, wringing their hands, or dashed themselves madly upon the flagging of the court, escaping one death to meet another. The victorious flames devoured the entire structure before the rest of the garrison could come to the rescue. All help was vain. Luckily the building stood by itself. The door was broken in with hatchets, but it was too late, for as it opened the burning roof and floors gave way and fell upon the unfortunate man with a loud crash. The entire building disappeared in a whirlwind of fiery dust and burning smoke, which stifled the faint moans of the expiring man. Next morning nothing was left in the courtyard but four high walls, black and smoking, around a horrid mass of smouldering ruins, still devouring each other like wild beasts in a circus. When the pile had cooled, it was searched. Beneath a heap of stones and iron beams, twisted out of shape by the flames, was found a mass of whitened bones and disfigured corpses. With some thirty soldiers, most of whom were crippled, this was all that remained of the crack regiment of Munkholm. When the site of the prison was searched, and they reached the fatal cell where the fire had broken out, and where Hans of Iceland had been imprisoned, they found the remains of a human body, close beside an iron pen and a heap of broken chains. It was curious that among these ashes there were two skulls, although there was but one skeleton. End of chapter 50